I, I'm, I'm curious, uh, we do live near water around here. How many of you, and you can just show of hands, uh, would say you enjoy boating in some manner? You're a sailor, you enjoy boating. A lot in the room, you can raise your hands online too. Interestingly, like I, I enjoy boats. Sailing, I don't enjoy so much. I just look at a sailboat and I throw up. I don't know what it is. I seem to be uh, gifted that way. God said, hey, I'm going to make you in a way that you vomit easily. So thank you. <laughs> but we live in this great area, and, and I love uh, both hearing stories and kind of being reminded of just what it's like to be around water. I was reading a story this week of a, a pastor, Sky Jethanti, and, uh, Jethanti, and he was telling a story of his own experience of this. He lived on the other side in the Chicago area, and his dad wanted to have this family activity. Let's build family connection. So they spent three days, he, his siblings, actually a cousin and his dad, being coached, kind of trained in how they would navigate a boat. And then at the end of three days, they were to go out on the water and actually do all of this, the dad leading the kids. Well, over the three days, Sky realized, I'm the only one paying attention. And several of them are not, and actually several of them, he told stories that were throwing up regularly. So immediately I connected to the story just from that. Uh, and uh, he said, then he got to the third day, the leader said to all get on the boat. And Sky said, no, he just would not go. They got so desperate, they actually threatened to pick him up and put him in the boat. But that was to no avail. So he got to stay on the shore as he watched his father and ill-prepared relations work on this kind of basically doing their test. He said it was amazing to watch. It was literally like a pinball uh, machine hitting one thing, then another, then another. I guess there must have been enough objects out in the harbor. They found a way to each one of them. He was probably dinging in his own mind. And what he did was what many of us do. When things fail and we think they should fail, what do we do? We enjoy it, don't we? And that's what he did. He basically turned to the person leading and just continued to mock and enjoy everything that was failing. And he began to tell a reflection as I was reading of the story where he said, you know, it's interesting when things go well, we want to be part of it. But when they don't go well, we're more than happy to step out and run it down. And I share that with you because we're in this series. It's a great study through Galatians. And really what Paul is centering on is that God is, <laughs> I am so easily distracted. I hear a phone I'm like, hello, can I, can I get that for you right now? I'm like, <laughs> Like squirrel, I'm, it's just gone easily. It always happens to me. What was I talking about? No, I'm just kidding. It's a new kind of family. What Paul is saying is God's making something new, doing something new. And that's what we've been looking at over these first three weeks. And now we're into week four and really going to get into the core of what does this family look like and how does it function? How does it live? That's where we're going today. But I want to go back to what we heard in the story because don't we live in a time more than ever, at least in my lifetime, that what we've been defined by is what we're divided by, not what we're brought together. Have we not? And, and this, make no mistake, this can be people sitting in a church together that we've decided we have different views on politics and we're separating. It can be parents and children. It can be adult parents and adult children. It can be neighbors. It can be siblings. It can be, name what it is, but we have divided over lots of things. I, I, I don't want to be positive, but I should hear an amen because let's be honest, it's true, isn't it? I mean, we've kind of looked and said, what, what will keep us from being together, not what will make us together? And so as we look at this today, and you even consider, boy, can I be this way? Can I kind of look at what separates me from people and begin to step back? I want you to think of two different ways we measure temperature. One is a thermometer, and a thermometer reads the current atmosphere. That's what it does. We know what it is. In fact, we, we have this every day in my family. We typically look, and we don't... We look at a digital thermometer, so we look at our apps, we know what the temperature is like. And in Michigan, you know how many different 
kinds of clothes do I have to wear today? That's what we do with our temperature. Now, we also have a thermometer, but we have also what's called a thermostat. What does a thermostat do? It changes the temperature, right? And I want you to consider this because as we look at what Paul's describing, this new kind of family, you are going to be tempted to view it through a lens of a thermometer. Where are we at right now? And these are the reasons we can't be who we are. But instead, I want you to look at it as God's calling us to be a thermostat. In fact, he's going to change the world. That's what he's proclaiming. You'll see it here through his new family. That's what God wants to do. And so I'm going to ask you not what it is that would keep you from, but what will help you stay in and move towards as we look at this together. So with this in mind, I want to give you a little background, even if you haven't been here. Galatia, well, Galatians, it's a letter, is a region in Turkey currently, and it's multiple cities that Paul writes this to. He's been there when they first discovered Jesus, and he watched the church, this group of people, begin to grow together as followers of him, and now it's starting to kind of unravel. They're having all sorts of troubles. They are finding things they disagree about and the reasons they can't be together, and he's trying to recalibrate them. Let me give you a picture of who you really are. Now, in this particular context in Galatia, there are Jewish believers in Christ and there are non-Jewish. They're just called Gentiles, which basically is everybody else. And they're particularly Gauls, which means if you're from Galatia, you're a Gaul. It means they're from that area. So what's happening in the battle is the people that are Jewish love to receive Jesus, but they don't want to give up being Jewish. So they start to tell everybody else, you also need to do this. You need to add on to, yes, it's Jesus. And yes, Jesus did everything for you, but you also need to do some stuff. And by the way, it's following certain rules and living certain ways. That's the battle going on, and it's causing them all sorts of struggle. So we would say it very simply, they've added to what we call the gospel. Now, without us even getting into detail, we know we do that, don't we? I mean, you think about all the things you throw on to people or we throw on each other, and it's, oh, yeah, you need to follow Jesus, but to do that, you should also do this, this, and that. So I just want to remind you, that's where we're connecting. Now, Paul writes it, and the reason it matters to know the Jewish part is because where he's going to go and where he goes in a lot of this letter is he keeps going back to a guy named Abraham. Now, Abraham is considered the father of the Israelites, the father of the Jewish people. Abraham's this guy that was a nomad. He, he had family, extended family that he was hanging out with, and God whispers to him one day, hey, Abe, I want you to go to a land you don't know to, to build a people you don't know. And by the way, you do this. If you trust me and step out, I'm going to bless a whole nation. And by the way, I'm going to bless all the nations through you. So Paul's going to keep going back to that because that's at the core of what confuses these Jews. They keep wanting to think about it this way. And let me just give you this in the background. Basically what he said, just leading up to this, is very simple that through Abraham, there would be a promised seed, meaning all the nations would be blessed. And Paul says, hey, I want to be clear. It's one seed. It's not a bunch of seeds. He doesn't say a promised seeds. He says a seed. It's not about all these people that you have, and they basically just kind of fill the earth. It's that one day, one person will come that will change everything. By the way, Paul says that's Jesus. I just want to be clear. It's one seed. And then he says, even if you didn't grow up, you didn't grow up Jewish, guess what? If you follow the ways of Jesus, you are part of that. You are this one family. That's what he's trying to say. We're a new kind of family. So I want you to just understand that's where we're coming from, and now we'll take it up in what he says. In verse 23, he says, before the coming of this faith, meaning before Jesus came, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Now, I don't need to get into all the nuance of this. There's a really simple way to understand this, which if you all know what a guardian is, it's someone who watches over. It's that 
type of image. Now, there was a history of how this unfolded in the ancient world. So in this time in history, at first you heard guardian and you thought they actually had slaves that would go with kids back and forth to school and they were to guard them and watch over them. They weren't their parents, but they watched over. Eventually, that term morphed to mean their very teachers. The teacher watched over a kid back and forth and guarded them, but they weren't their family. That's what Paul's saying. Listen, you had a guardian even as Israel, you had a guardian. The law is meant to be kind of a guardian over you. It's a way you're seeking to respond to all this mess, which, by the way, we still do today. You and I would say we understand Jesus died for our sins, but we still live like we need to fix it on our own. That's what Paul is reminding them of. You can't do this on your own. It's about faith. And if you weren't with us earlier in the series, you can go back through the previous three weeks. One of the weeks we talked very specifically about how Jesus says to us, apart from me, you can do, what did we say? Nothing. Total dependence. We obviously can do things on our own, but he's saying, you need to be totally connected and dependent to me. That's what faith is. It's needing God every moment of the day. So Paul's painting a picture now. Hey, I know there's been one way we lived. It's not really the full throttle of what we want. It's really not what God intends with family. It's kind of a picture of what is coming. That's why he calls it a guardian. And then Paul continues. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For you, all of you were baptized into Christ and have clothed yourselves with Christ. Now I want you to see a couple of things from this that hopefully give us picture and understanding to it and what it means. Um, So I, I want you just to see this. He said that you are all. So is that some of us or all of us who follow him? Right? I mean, we know we get that, right? It's all. And he says all every time. All again. And even here, this yourselves, it's all again. He says three things. You're children of God through faith. So, so what he's simply saying is you and I are sons and daughters of the Most High God. Like we're his kids. I mean, you and I, we get to say our dad's bigger than you. Our dad's bigger than anything. We love that he's our dad. What I want us to get in this, though, is Paul's being very clear about all of you. Many of us around the church think, you know, if you really knew my life and really knew my struggles, you'd think I was less than. I'm kind of a junior son or I'm a friend and a crazy cousin or uncle around. I'm just not all there. That's one side of it. And there's the other side that's, man, I can't believe they're part of the family. They're a mess. They are a little less than I am and I've done more for this. Yeah, I needed forgiveness, but man, I've also walked a good road right now. I'm a little better than Are you getting the picture of how we get confused? And in case you don't know, all of us can struggle with this. So I realized for me, this is is horrible, but I've become quite frustrated with people who are what I perceive as arrogant and judgmental. They think they are better than others. They're always right about everything. It's just really frustrating. So guess what I've done to them? I've judged them. They are so much less than because they think they're more than. You do get that that's weird, right? I'm judging judgmental people people, which makes me judgmental. Okay, you're not, you're just, you're too quiet. This is pathetic. I just want to make sure you get that it's pathetic. Like Paul's giving us a picture and we say it simply, you know, no one's greater or lesser at the cross, but everyone's of amazingly infinite value. That's the picture Paul's trying to give us. There's a picture that all of us, and he gives three pictures in this. He says, you're children of of God through faith, meaning it's nothing we do. It's what Jesus has done. We have to trust it. The second thing he says is you were all baptized into Christ. 
Now, this is a very important picture for us because it sets the picture of what kind of family we're to be, what the church is to be, what we are to be as the kids of God. Baptism is both an event, it's something that God does and moves graciously through, it's also a picture. So when we're baptized, we are put into the water, beneath the water, and it's an image that we die to ourselves as Christ died to sin, basically died for our sins. We say we will die along with you to the way we want to live on our own. Now, you know that's amazing already, right? That that's what we are saying we're, we're aspiring to do. Then when we're lifted out of the water, it's new life and the spirit lives in us. That's what we said last week, by the way. In case you weren't here, I said, where does the spirit live? And you said... And you said it so powerfully and boldly like you are today about good West Michigan vanilla. You know, way to go. Courtesy response. Nothing like that for me. In us. Now you realize of all the things you have in life, I, you show me every bit of your, your portfolio. Show me all the assets you have. Do you know what's bigger than that? Where God lives. Okay? So when I'm asking you, I'm asking you what's the best, most amazing thing in your life. And you say, in us. Thank you so much for being lifeless in this. Okay, so where does God live? Yes. Awesome. Now, I just want you to begin to believe it. And that's what Paul is trying to give them a picture of. Listen, you want to know how you're his kids? You're his kids because of what he did. It's faith in him. You want to know what it means? You're baptized in him, meaning you are constantly reminded that you're seeking to die to the, your own way of living and to live in a new way through him and his spirit. And then he gives this final one that you actually clothe yourselves with Christ. This is, by the way, our part. He says yourselves, not just that he does it. It's a picture. Paul always uses this image of clothing when he wants to show us what it looks like to mature and become more like Jesus. He says things like, hey, put off the way you used to live. Take off these clothes of anger and rage and malice and rebellion. And then he gives all sorts of other things. And put on things like compassion and kindness and love and gentleness and forgiveness. You're known by how you live. Those clothes are representative of who we're to be as his new family. Are you getting a picture of what it can be, I hope? Because that's what Paul's trying to give us. Boy, you're, you're identifying yourselves by what's going on around you. You're looking at what separates you. You're much more like a thermometer, kind of seeing what life is like. Because let's be honest, we're not the ones who started this, but man, it's a mess, isn't it? And we're right there just kind of going, yeah, that's a temperature. I guess I'll live for that. I said, no, no, no. I'm going to change the world through you. I'm going to do something different through this new family. I didn't just have kids to build legacy. I, I had kids to change the world. That's what he's saying to us. I'm going to use you to change the world. I want you to see this new kind of family I'm calling you to. Now, I don't want you to just be stuck in this piece because you could say, well, that's when Jesus comes back. I mean, nothing like that could change. What's it even look like? How can I even know what this is supposed to be? And we have this beautiful picture of it in a revelation, one the, the last part of the Bible, it's called Revelation. It's a prophetic, basically a vision that John gets. John is one of the di disciples. He's placed on this island in seclusion for being a follower of Jesus, basically. Sees all around him, doesn't have anything, and God begins to reveal to him things that will happen. So he gives him a picture, literally a picture of the end of time and what it will look like. And, uh, and what he says is this. I want you to just see the picture because it's a picture of what this should look like that we're moving towards. And this is what he says. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. It was people from every nation and tribe, people and language. 
They were standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now this is a vision of what the church is to be in its culmination. This is a picture at the end of time. And it centers around Jesus, by the way, in case you don't see, it's all about salvation and what he's done. The lamb is simply Jesus as the one who was sacrificed to die for us for the mess that we cause that we can't fix. And then it has these beautiful things of the idea of standing before the throne. By the way, wearing white robes is a picture of them actually living through his help in a new way. But it's this part I don't want us to miss. Every nation, every tribe, every people, every tongue. I think we have a much too small vision of what God's doing and the role it plays for us to discover this amazing new church that God is building with every nation and tribe and people and tongue. This last week I was reflecting on it and I, I went back to this old song that I loved. It's an old vineyard song called Break Dividing Walls and I don't even remember which album I found it on but it wasn't one that I had listened to. It was apparently a conference somewhere in Europe and they, they sing this chorus, we will break dividing walls, we will break dividing walls, we will break dividing walls in the name of your son and we'll be one. That's one of the, the chorus. Well, they sang it and then all of a sudden they said, hey, let's sing it in German and then let's sing it in French and they listed like three or four other languages and I'm listening to all these different tongues sing, and it just about undid me. Because it was a picture of something so much bigger than what we settle for. I want the church to be people just like me, that think like me, live like me, act like me. She said, oh, no, no, we're way too small. I've got something so much bigger for you than this. Man, I just want you, I want so much more for you then you're going to settle for. But before we go on, and I, I want to get into what Paul, what Paul does say in this, I, I want to be honest with you because this is one of those areas, man, the way our culture is and we're divided, if I say anything about almost anything, someone's mad because they're determined that it's either this or that. You've either supported this, and it's mostly politic. You've either supported this politic or that one. Oh, you can't say that one because that one's not this one. You're either this or that. You're not, there's only two options. That's how we live today, by the way. So here's my picture to help us. I want to take you back to Mike Myers as the cat in the hat. Now, you may not even remember this, but this is exactly where my mind went, feeling like this is what happens to me every time I talk about anything. I'm waiting for someone to either misinterpret or basically narrow out what I'm saying to. It's got to be this. If you pick that, then you can't have this. If you pick this, then you can't have that. So you can't say that. Well, what if it is biblical? Well, no, you still can't because it's this or that. No, you're, you're just wrong. Let me take you to Mike. So Mike's the cat in the hat. They're, they're stuck in this either-or thing, and he says, there is a third option, but it involves murder. And then he plays the keyboard a bunch of times. So I first thought of it, I thought, well, there's a third option. Now I'm telling you it's murder, and you're probably thinking, I'd like to kill people. If we just, that, it would take care of it. You're probably right. That's not what I mean. Do you know what it involves the death of? Us. See, the third option is a different way that says, you know what? Guys, we can't keep seeing life through the lens of this or that. The church is something bigger and different. And I'm going to keep going in this, but I need you, whatever your guard is about this, I need you to just take it down for a bit. And let me just speak to you, not through a lens of how our culture is, not through the thermometer of what's going on, but we're a thermostat, and we're going to turn the dial in a different direction in a new way. 
or we're not going to change the world. We're just going to be part of it. I want you to hear what Paul says, and I want us to feel both the beauty and the angst of it. And, and I want to say this even before I show you what Paul says. In case you don't know, this was Jesus' heart, by the way. There, we have a series of prayers he, he tells us. We get to see how he prayed to the Father. And one of them is in John 17. It's called, by people who know it, the high priestly prayer. And he prays this very simply. I pray, Father, that you would make them one as we are one. You would bring a unity to them. And then he says, so that the world will know you sent me. In other words, it's by how we live differently as a new family that actually helps the world to change. You want to change the thermostat, we change how we are with each other and those around us, and we build a new kind of environment that's different. It will not be this or that, and it will violate this and that. Make no mistake, it is a third option. And what I love Jesus says in, it, in part of the prayer, he says, I am giving the glory that you gave me to them so they can be one. In other words, the same power that Jesus used to conquer death, the same power that he says he had at creation. You want to go out and look at the world around us and be amazed, which you should be? That was Jesus, in case you don't know. That's his power. He says, oh, that same power, I'm giving it to my people, my family, so we can become one. We can live in a different way that makes no sense to the world around us. You getting a picture? All right, let me take you to what Paul says then. Because he defines the struggle they're having and he goes right into it. He says, here as a follower of Jesus, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now these are very important pictures, Jew and Gentile, slave or free, male or female, because in that culture, Jews were elevated above Gentiles. They are better. Free is elevated above slaves. They are better. Men are elevated above women. They are better. By the way, I am just saying that that's what they said. I'm not saying that. Just to be clear, I don't want to get hit later. In case you don't know how powerful this is, this is from a Jewish prayer book that as it will date back this far. This is what they, they prayed. Praise be you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, because you've not made me a Gentile. Are you sweating already? Praise be you, Adonai, King of the universe, you have not made me a woman. Today, that's one sad man, isn't it, that prayed that? Praise be you, Adonai, King of the universe, because you've not made me a slave. You see, they were grateful for standing in that world. And Paul is saying to them, you got to let go of what you have. That's your advantage. It, it's, uh, it's been funny as I've watched our culture shift. And this isn't so true in the church, but we know in culture, uh, I am, uh, well, every, I'm getting older. I know you know that. And you're already there, buddy. Yeah, that's what you're saying. I am an aging white male in a conservative Christian church. How do you think I rate in our culture right now? I am basically a villain right now. I'm not a good dude. And my life doesn't matter. It's an interesting piece. So what happens is I am very tempted to defend and protect myself. The third option involves death. It means that I step back and I go, you know what? I know I'm seeing this way. It doesn't matter. What matters is that I still reach out in love, that I try to understand what it is that's causing that, that I'm still moving, even if I didn't cause it, even where I did. Because quite honestly, that fight of who's right and who's wrong is this or that. 
And Jesus says, no, 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 it's another way. You, you do realize, that's the irony in all of it. When someone tells me you just have all the power you want, I'm like, you do realize what Jesus says is you become a servant, you give up everything. Like, if I'm operating that way, you should slap me anyway. I'm in trouble. I just want you to get a picture, though. We're fighting in a battle to keep a temperature somewhere. The thermostat changes, and we go, hey, listen, I don't even need to fight that battle. Wrong battle. I just have to learn to reach out and still love people. Take whatever I take. Because guess what? If you're a child of God, it doesn't matter. Then you just have to discover that more. I'm loved. And I want to understand. I, I, I don't want us to miss the picture of this because we're, we're being challenged right now and we want to defend instead of understand. And Paul is so clear in here. Man, it's a new way the church lives. Let me show you another of Paul's writings. This is a letter to the church in Ephesus. And he's this telling you what Jesus accomplished by coming. He says, Jesus, for he himself, is our peace. The one who's made the two groups one has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross which he put to death their hostility. You know that we're not the only area that has hostility, right? Do you know that's common all over the world? So one of the, the unique opportunities I have is I get to travel to different parts of the world and even know what we're doing because we're involved with missionaries and missional movements around the world. If I were to take you to India and we were to go there, you'd find out, you know what? India has a very ingrained caste system. There's incredible hostility because the lower you are on it, the less life you have. And if you're at the lowest point, you're basically nothing and you're treated by everyone else horribly. Guess how the church operates? It violates the caste system. When they come together, they live differently. They're doing what they can to help those most in need. They're changing the way life is in that body of people. Do you think that's gonna change India? You bet it is. Let me take you to Kyrgyzstan. We, uh, we've had different couples that have been involved there, and I remember a few years ago meeting with a couple that they were ministering to kind of the downtrodden in this country who had mostly been people that had come in out of oppression in nearby countries just to survive. And there was one particular subgroup that had their own language, their own way, but they had to learn a kind of a mediating language with the people of Kyrgyzstan so they could at least communicate. So now the missionary comes in, they're trying to reach these people, and they find out, oh, they have a first language they have to learn just to talk. Then they have their own language they're native in. If we're really going to help them discover Jesus, we have to learn both of them. They have to learn two languages just to help these people. I just go, you know what, if they can do that, why can't I start moving towards people that are different than me? Why can't I start making shifts in my own life that start moving me in a new direction? And make no mistake, it is individual in that sense. But I also don't want us to miss, this passage is communal. We always talk about this. We're, we're, we're people that want, and we should, we want people to have personal relationship with Jesus, which they should. But we think if they have personal relationship, everything will fix. This is communal too, in case you don't realize. Yes, we need personal, but we also need communal intervention. What he's saying here is there's a dividing wall of hostility. Jesus came to break it down and build unity in a place that can't be built any other way with any other group. My family is going to do something no other family can do. It's going to change the world by loving people and walking across lines that no one else will in ways no one else will with a heart no one else has. 
Paul brings up three major barriers that there's, there's a difference in our ethnicity and our culture, there's a difference in our gender, and there's a difference in our status. And they go, those are walls that we still have today, that we're invited into engage differently and in new ways. He continues. He says, consequently, you're no longer foreigners, you're no longer strangers, but you are fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. By the way, it's built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ himself as the cornerstone. And in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become the dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. I love the imagery Paul uses. The, the Jewish people had spent their whole lives and all of their history building a temple where God's presence would reside. And he said, guess what? God's building a new temple and it's not a building. I mean, how fitting for us coming out of COVID. I, I, I listen to people that are so worried we weren't coming together, which I missed you too. But guess what? The church has never been a building. What he's saying is, you want to know the new temple? It's the people of God with the spirit of God in us living in the way of God to a world in need. You want to know how the temple's built? It's built by us living and loving differently, actually becoming citizens of heaven. And, and maybe more than anything, I want us to get that peace. Because guess what? You and I have one citizenship that matters more than anything, and you know what it is? It's God's family. I, I'm not interested in us being American, us being from West Michigan, any of those other things. I'm grateful that we have those. No bearing on who God is and what he wants to do. None. It's crazy. We can go to some of the most oppressed parts of the world and the church thrives better sometimes. I'm not worried about this or that. I'm worried about us thinking this or that's what's going to change it. You want to be a really uniquely a thermostat? We've got to live in a different way. And I love this too, by the way. He tells them they're all citizens. You have a citizenship that's better than anything you could ever imagine. That's what God's given you. That's what he has for you. He longs for you to live in a new way. Let me take you, these are the two final verses I wanted to use from the Galatians study, because it, or from this particular one, because they get it at two pieces that are important. In, in, uh, this is Galatians 3.29. If you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. He says you, and again you, and then he implies you here when he says you're heirs, by the way, according to the promise. That you is plural. It matters because what he's saying is us together are God's people, his heirs, and we live in his promise. We live in it together. Did you guys know I'm your brother? I'm sorry you can't get rid of me. You're stuck. There's a lot of things you can complain about. I'm still your brother. You are my brothers and sisters. We are family. I got all my sisters in me. I got some brothers too. I think we forget that. I think we forget it in our own homes. There's communal. That's what I want you to see. Now let me take you to the next one. So you are no longer a slave. You aren't. You're actually God's child. Oh, and by the way, you, being his child, are also his heir. That's you singular, by the way. What I love about it is Paul is giving us a picture. Hey, there's us and there's still you. There's us and there's you. It's both and. And I'm so worried that we get caught up in it's only me. And as long as I do something well, it doesn't matter. And yet Jesus' vision is for us. Together as a family and what we can do. I, I want to give you just a couple of things to consider as we, we kind of wrap this up today. And I'll tell you, I mean, I, obviously I, I speak about a lot of things a lot of times. For some reason this has been so 
both passionate and painful for me to consider how hard it is right now. Because there's just so much pain all over in this issue. I just wonder what's holding you back from being all in for his new kind of family. What have you said? Well, I'll be there as long as. I'll be there alongside of. And I'll give you three ways to kind of ask this in detail. The first is who can you move toward? Can you begin to move towards people that are different than you? You know we live in West Michigan and most of us look pretty similar, right? Do you know what it's like for anybody that looks different from us to walk into a door anywhere around here? And this time, it's so much harder. Do you know it's like for people if you're older that are younger and you can't just say, well, they don't work the way I did and they don't think the way I did and they're wrong? You should move towards people younger than you. You're younger and you think all those old people are so narrow-minded and rah, rah, rah. You move towards somebody like that. Why are we not moving towards people that are different than us? That's what Jesus called us to do. And, and I want, when I tell you this, I do want to say when you move towards them, you need to move with a heart of compassion. Because we, this is another thing, that at least in my experience, we tend to think we know why people do things and we're just going to correct them. Hey, you know, if you, basically what we say is if I were in your shoes, I wouldn't do what you did. I'd make the right decision. And you realize we're just dead wrong. Like we don't know. And what would happen if we just moved compassionately to understand? Instead of so big to be right, it's this or that. The second one is just something to consider you're holding on to. What can you let go of? What are you holding on to and say, I need Jesus, but it has to be done this way. If it's, it's either this or that, if you tell me that, it can't be this. Can you let go of that? I guarantee any ideology you're learning about will have violations to the church. Jesus, he pissed off everybody because he never aligned with one way of how they did things. And we need to be the church where we can speak into things that would upset anybody's ideology apart from simply following. And then the final one is, I'd like to know how you can pray. And, and I wanna just give you this kind of as we close. So this issue of this division, and not just division in a church, but the church and the cultural divisions and all the fighting and hostility uh, has left me going, Right now I'm in kind of a lament and I'm learning what can I pray. And I gave you four passages that I actually pray throughout my week, every week. I pray John 17 over the church every week. I pray through that prayer of Jesus. I pray this passage in Galatians 3, that we, that the church will become one and that we won't have these divisions over Jew and Gentile, over ethnicity. We won't have these divisions over slavery, free, over economics. We won't have divisions over male and female. And I pray, Ephesians 2, that God will use us to break this dividing wall of hostility. We will be the answer, not more of the problem. And then I pray, Revelation 7, God, would you give us a vision towards that? How about you and I start praying for it instead of complaining about it and tell everybody it's got to be this or that? Hey, I, want it, I want you to leave excited for what it can be, I also want you to leave convicted to go, man, we are not there. And I'm part of this. I think that's what's been grieving me the most is I ache now in ways I haven't ached before. And I just go, my heart's kind of broken for what we've lost and what we could be. And it will not happen with this or that. It'll happen in a third way where we die to ourselves and live to love people. Let me pray. Lord, I ask that you will meet each person where they are today. I do pray that nothing would keep them from believing or understanding what you want to say. So if there's something that keeps them, whether it's kind of their own beaten down or way they think of being closed, if it's their circumstances, 
Whatever it is, God, would you till the soil of their hearts that they'd listen to you. And God, like I said, if it's not from you what I said, let it fall. But what is? I'm praying life into it, God. We want to be part of your church that changes the world because we turn the thermostat in a new direction, in a new way. So God, help us to that end. I pray this in your name. Amen.